Welcome to episode 119 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for April 1st, 2009. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. On this week's episode of the Fredcast, way too many injuries, an epidemic of injuries, in fact. Plus, Utah Share the Road Plates have been signed into law. Racing news from the Vuelta Castilla y León, and classic season is upon us. Plus, Yellowstone opening roads to cyclists, and a cyclist trying to break an around-the-world record. Following the news, an update on the Oregon bicycle registration bill, an interview with Banjo Brothers, and don't forget, training with Ken. Plus, pod safe cycling music. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike, hammer just a little bit harder, because here comes... The Fredcast. Hey, welcome back to the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. Great to have you with us. And even though this is an April 1st show, this is no fooling. There are no April Fool's jokes in this entire show, guaranteed. But before we get started, I need to welcome a new sponsor to the Fredcast, and that is cycloclub.com at www.cyclo-club.com. You know, we've talked on the show before several times to Graham Street. Graham is well known for his DVD training programs called CycloCore. I've talked to you about the success that I've achieved with it. Graham's talked to you about the success that he's seen other cyclists have with it, and a lot of you have responded. Well, Graham has come on board as a new sponsor of the Fredcast, specifically with a revolutionary concept on the internet, and it's cycloclub.com. Cycloclub is for you and me. It's for what Graham calls the everyday cyclist, someone who has a passion for cycling. It's got to be you because you're a Fredcast listener. Graham's goal, the mission of cycloclub.com is to help you get stronger, more fit, and get improved results on the bike in less time. And it's all at a great value. For example, he's got this new concept, these seven-day training formats. And they're based on your experience level, beginner, intermediate, advanced. In seven days, you are going to ride stronger, leaner, and you're going to be more fit every seven days. Really incredible. We're going to talk more about Cyclo Club as the weeks and months go on. We're going to have Graham come on and give us some training tips. Should be on a next week's show. But what are you going to find when you sign up for cycloclub.com? You're going to find workouts, video workouts, all those videos that Graham has had all that time, constantly available 24-7, streaming to you on the web. You can even download them. So all those DVDs, all that information is available there. There's going to be boot camps, nutrition tips, product reviews. There's a community. There's social networking features all available to you 24-7. I'm a member. I've already gotten a lot out of it. I know that you will too. And if you sign up now, Graham's got a special deal going right now. If you sign up for an annual membership, not only are you going to get a full year of access to the Cyclo Club, but you're also going to get a CycloCore on-the-go workout DVD sent to you absolutely free as part of your membership. Go ahead and check it out. It's at cycloclub.com, C-Y-C-L-O-C-L-U-B.com. And we thank Graham and Cyclo Club for being a sponsor of the Fredcast. 
And of course, if you didn't get those links, don't worry. They're in the show notes. And of course, they're also in the enhanced version of the podcast. Now, two announcements before we get started with this week's show. Number one, there's a new way that you can listen to the Fredcast. I just found this recently, and I'm really excited about it. It's a service called Stitcher, available at www.stitcher.com, and also available on your BlackBerry or on your iPhone. Stitcher's pretty amazing. It's a way for you to stream audio content, radio programs, podcasts, whatever audio you're looking for, directly to your mobile device. No syncing with your computer, no downloading, no nothing. It's a great way to listen to the Fredcast. I was listening earlier today to CNN and the Wall Street Journal and some radio stations. It's a a fantastic way to listen to audio. I just found it today. Thought you'd be interested in it. Go ahead and check it out. Links are in the show notes. And of course, you can find it at stitcher.com. And the last quick announcement, the pre-sale of Fredcast jerseys is now over, but you still can get one. I've got a limited quantity left now at the regular price of $69 each, but get yours now. Links are in the show notes and in the Enhanced Podcast. Okay, enough said with that, and it is now time to get to the news for this episode of the Fredcast. At the top of the news this week is Senate Bill 148 in the state of Colorado. This bill is intended to be what's called a bicycle safety bill. And for the most part, cyclists and drivers alike are in favor of the bill because it includes a lot of provisions that a lot of us have sort of come to know as common sense for cyclists. Things like the three-foot law that we've talked about before, requiring motorists to give cyclists a three-foot berth when they're passing them, uh, allowing motorists to cross a solid center line in order to safely pass a cyclist, allow cyclists to ride on the left side of the road on one-way roads so that they are facing, perhaps, uh, the drivers, uh, allowing cyclists to ride on the left-hand side of a dedicated right-hand turn lane even if they're not turning right. I mean, that's safety and common sense. Uh, Making it a misdemeanor, class two misdemeanor, to throw things at cyclists. I like that one. I've had things thrown at me. I know you have too. And make driving toward a cyclist in a dangerous manner a careless driving offense. All of those things sound completely reasonable, don't they? Well, here's the parts that are not reasonable, that has a lot of cyclists in the state of Colorado very upset. Two things specifically. Representative Randy Baumgartner from the state of Colorado added a couple of amendments. One of them would curtail riders' ability to ride to abreast on state highways. Now, while that may sound reasonable to you, the problem is that the effect of it is that it would mean that one cyclist could not pass another cyclist unless the lane being used was more than 12 feet wide. Unfortunately, that's causing a bit of a problem for cyclists. State law as currently written does allow cyclists to ride to abreast when doing so, quote, will not impede the normal and reasonable movement of traffic or when they're riding on paths or parts of roadways set aside for the exclusive use of bicycles. And cyclists must stay within a single lane when riding to abreast. But there's another problem. Remember I mentioned earlier the fact that Colorado wants to add this three-foot buffer zone that so many other states in the United States have added. And I also mentioned that the bill would allow motorists to cross over a center line in order to give cyclists that wide berth. But there are amendments that are saying that they do not want to allow the motorists the ability to cross that yellow line 
in effect, invalidating the three-foot rule and putting the motorists and the cars closer, perhaps dangerously so, to the cyclists. All sorts of bicycle clubs and cycling advocacy groups in the state of Colorado have mobilized against these amendments in the bill, Senate Bill 148, and are urging cyclists, like-minded cyclists, to contact their state representatives and their state senators because as the House bill, which has been passed, and the Senate bill, which does not contain some of these amendments, which has also been passed, as they work to reconcile those two bills, your voice needs to be heard to try to get some of these amendments taken out. Meanwhile, neighboring Colorado is the state of Utah, where the legislature did something that I think a lot of cyclists are actually going to be in favor of, and that is they approved and Governor Huntsman signed earlier this week the bill allowing the creation of a share-the-road bicycle license plate for motor vehicles. Like many of the other special interest license plates in the state of Utah, special fees will be collected from those who want to put these license plates on their cars. In this case, those fees are going to be used for bicycle education and safety programs within the state of Utah. More information should be available soon on the state of Utah's Department of Motor Vehicles website. I, for one, plan on being first in line on October 1st. Well, when last we met here on the Fredcast, I was on my way out of the country and I was telling you about a race that was coming up and very excited to know that Team Astana and Lance Armstrong would be racing in Spain at the Vuelta Castilla y León. The problem is, well, we'll get to that problem in a moment, but as far as Astana, well, it was a successful race for them because first place in the final general classification in this year's Vuelta Castilla y León went to Levi Leipheimer from the United States in 15 hours, 33 minutes, and 23 seconds. And he was just 16 seconds ahead of his teammate, Tour de France champion Alberto Contador. Third place going to the United States and Garmin Slipstream's Dave Zabriskie, 22 seconds behind. Fourth to Steph Clement from Rabobank, who was 49 seconds behind Leipheimer. And fifth place to Dennis Menshaw from Russia and Team Rabobank, 54 seconds behind. Levi Leipheimer. Said Leipheimer after the race, quote, our team was the strongest. After the time trial, I didn't have to do anything because my teammates did everything. So congratulations to Levi Leipheimer and Team Astana for winning this year's Vuelta Castilla y León. Now, having offered my congratulations to Team Astana, I also have to mention, well, my condolences to Team Astana, because unless you've been under a rock for the last week, you probably know very well that Team Astana's Lance Armstrong went down in a crash on stage one of the Vuelta Castilla y León and broke his collarbone. He announced it, in fact, on Twitter, as did Johan Brunil, and the play-by-play of everything that took place afterwards also took place on Twitter. In fact, I heard recently on a on a other podcast that I listened to uh, that there were some major media types, some mainstream media types who felt scooped by Armstrong and Brunel themselves for breaking the story on Twitter. Well, Lance Armstrong has since had surgery uh, for the broken collarbone. During that surgery, he got a stainless steel plate and 12 screws to help stabilize the broken collarbone, hopefully allowing him to be back on the bike and racing very soon. As a matter of fact, Lance on his Twitter feed earlier this week posted a photo of the x-ray showing all of the hardware in his uh, shoulder, including all of the screws. The tagline that he put on his Twitter was simply, 
I'm screwed. And indeed, he is, literally and figuratively. According to Lance's doctor, the 12 screws were more than, well, perhaps they might normally use for a regular patient, but the doctor felt that considering Lance's goals, hoping to get to the Giro, and certainly hoping to get to this year's Tour de France, it was necessary to put in all of those screws, all that hardware, and make a five-inch incision to get that plate in there to stabilize it as quickly as possible so that Lance can be back on his bike. According to Armstrong, quote, I think the Giro is still very doable. This is definitely a setback, no doubt. It's the biggest setback I've ever had in my cycling career, so it's a new experience for me. But never one to be deterred, just three days after his surgery, Lance was back on his bike. Mentioning in Twitter, got on the spin bike for half an hour today. Gotta admit, this guy is dedicated. And in fact, Astana says that he should be ready for the Tour de France. According to Johan Bernil, quote, I don't think this changes anything for the Tour de France. A broken collarbone in the month of March does not at all compromise the start of the Tour de France or your performance in the Tour de France. He went on to say that he is not ruling out the Giro for Lance Armstrong. I'll be watching Lance's Twitter feed, as I know many of you will as well, and we'll see what happens. I suspect we'll see him starting at the Tour and quite possibly at the Giro as well. Well, Lance Armstrong isn't the only cyclist to experience some injuries over the last week. Stuart O'Grady from Team Saxo Bank is going to have to miss this year's Spring Classics. This after fracturing his right collarbone and a rib and bruising between his lungs and his ribs during a crash in Milan-San Remo. Meanwhile, Tyler Farah is also going to be out of this year's Spring Classics due to a separation in his right shoulder from his crash in Milan-San Remo. And if that weren't enough, if that weren't enough cyclists to be injured, well, the Today Show's Matt Lauer was also injured last week in a cycling accident. Apparently, he was riding his bike on Long Island, and he had, well, what's been described by his co-host Meredith Vieira as, quote, a run-in with a deer. According to the story being put out by NBC, the deer leapt out in front of Matt Lauer while he was riding his bike. Matt slammed on his brakes to try to avoid an accident with the deer, and that sudden stop threw him off the bike and onto his shoulder. However, Matt was wearing a helmet, and Matt is back on the Today Show. Good news for Matt, NBC, Meredith, and the rest of the gang on Today. And while all of those injuries were occurring, meanwhile, my favorite cyclist in the peloton, Jens Voigt from Team Saxobank, has now won a record-tying fifth Criterium International. Jens seems to own this race the way Lance Armstrong has owned the Tour de France. The Criterium International is a three-stage race, Jens Voigt winning it in 7 hours, 23 minutes flat with Frantisek Rabon from Team Columbia High Road coming in two seconds after, nine seconds behind him, Danny Pate from Team Garmin Slipstream. Fourth place going to Maxime Mumford from Team Columbia High Road, 12 seconds behind Jens Voigt, and fifth to Cyril Lemoine from Skill Shimano, 18 seconds behind the five-time champion, Team Saxobank's Jens Voigt. One last note about Team Saxobank, a Press release from Saxobank and Schramm indicates that Team Saxobank has now switched from Shimano 
drivetrains and components to the SRAM RED components. In the press release, uh, Team Director Bjarna Reese is quoted as saying, we're looking forward to racing with SRAM. SRAM RED is proven reliable, remains the lightest grupo available, and delivers perfect ergonomics. SRAM has demonstrated impressive product development, great quality, and intense focus. I love this part, just like our team. And next up on the world calendar, it's the Tour of Flanders on April the 5th, following that Ghent-Wevelgem on April the 8th, and then the Hell of the North, Paris-Roubaix on April the 12th. Well, closely related to professional cycling is unfortunately the topic of doping. Now, before you click away, I know a lot of you are tired of me talking about doping, and especially tired of me talking about something called Operacion Puerto, which was Dr. Eufemiano Fuentes' alleged doping ring taking place in Spain. Now, several professional riders, high-profile professional riders, guys like Jan Ulrich and Ivan Basso, were implicated and disgraced by their alleged involvement in Eufemiano Fuentes' Operation Puerto. And for many months, perhaps years, one other rider has been consistently implicated as having possible involvement in Operation Puerto, and that is Spanish rider Alejandro Valverde. Well, this week, the Italian Olympic Committee, also known as CONI, C-O-N-I, has charged Alejandro Valverde as being involved in Operation Puerto. According to CONI, they can match Valverde's blood samples from this year's Tour de France to blood samples obtained in the Operation Puerto investigation. UCI President Pat McQuaid told Reuters this week, this is for the moment an Italian affair under Italian law. The UCI will have to wait until the process finishes to see how we can proceed. Now, meanwhile, according to CONI, the CONI prosecutor charged Alejandro Valverde, and they've requested a two-year ban for the cast upon your rider. Interestingly enough, Alejandro Valverde won two stages of last week's Vuelta Castilla a Leon. Valverde is also now under criminal investigation by Rome police. If you've been a Fredcast listener for a long time, you know we've been talking about Operation Puerto I got to look, but perhaps since episode number one of the Fredcast, and you also know that only a couple of months ago, I announced that the probe into Operation Puerto was relaunched. For those of you who are interested, Ivan Basso admitted involvement in Operation Puerto, but did not admit any doping. Despite that, he was given a two-year ban by the Italian Olympic Committee. And as you all know, Basso is back in the professional peloton. More news on the Valverde affair as it comes up. And as Alejandro Valverde enters the legal system for his alleged doping, another high-profile rider, Bernhard Cole, who took third place in the 2008 Tour de France and took home the final polka dot jersey as the best climber or the king of the mountains in the 2008 Tour de France, he is continuing his journey through doping charges. Bernard Cole has now admitted that he did use blood doping 
and he now faces up to a five-year prison sentence for that admission. According to a press conference that Bernard Cole held earlier this week, he admitted that he went to a laboratory in Vienna for transfusions with blood that was supplied by his former manager, Stefan Matschiner. According to Cole, quote, he, meaning his manager, supplied me doping products. I did blood doping three or four times. Now, as you may know, Cole was handed a two-year suspension in October by the Australian Anti-Doping Agency. Cole is 34 years old, and up until this point, he had only admitted the use of CERA, C-E-R-A, which is a new type of EPO or blood booster. It provides more oxygen, or actually more red blood cells, and therefore supplying more oxygen to your body. Previous to this, he'd only admitted to the CERA use. He's now admitted to the blood doping, and his manager has now admitted that he too had a role in this, although he denied providing either Bernard Cole or Austrian triathlete Lisa Huthheiler with EPO or any other similar banned substances. So why, you ask, if Cole had previously admitted to the Sarah use, is he now facing a prison sentence? Well, it's similar. Previous to last summer, blood doping was not considered a legal offense in Austria. However, an anti-doping amendment was passed in August that now makes both kinds of doping punishable by up to five years in prison. However, it is not retroactive, and that means that Cole's manager could escape a possible prison sentence. More news on Bernard Cole and the possible punishment as it becomes available. All right, time to move away from professional cycling. And for those of you in the Mountain West, you might want to head up toward Yellowstone because Yellowstone National Park has now opened some of their roads, or at least beginning this Saturday, to bicyclists between West Yellowstone, Madison, Norris, and Mammoth Hot Springs. During this time of the year, the employees are getting the park ready for the spring and summer and fall tourist seasons, and as a result, they're beginning to start clearing and preparing the roads for motorized wheeled vehicles. However, if you're adventurous and if you'd like to take to those roads without any possibility that you're going to have the hindrance of motorists and cars on the road, now is the time to get out there and Yellowstone National Park has opened those roads to you. Park officials say it will be a month or more before some of those roads are cleared and ready for cars, trailers, RVs, and buses, so it is now time for you to get out there. For more information on this, cyclists are asked to call 307-344-2109. That's 307-344-2109 from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. on weekdays for updated road access information or 307-344-2113, 307-344-2113 for 24-hour weather information before you travel to the area. If you get up there, send me pictures. I'll post them on the website. I'd love to see what Yellowstone looks like without cars. Must be amazing. We've talked a lot here on the Fredcast about the cycle hire schemes that have cropped up all over the world and cities all over the world. Most of them seem to be modeled on Paris's extremely popular Velib, Velib being a contraction of the words velo and liberté for bike and freedom. And it is the largest bike hire system in the world. And you see it now all across Europe and North America and everywhere else. And in France now, they are now moving their cycle hire scheme 
out to the suburbs with the first suburb filling 21 docking stations filled with new Valib bikes just this week. In Boulogne, Villancourt, just west of Paris, they now are able to rent Valib bikes. And this will be rolled out to 29 Paris suburbs over the next year. Now, right now, there are 20,000 bikes docked in 1,450 stations with over 40 million rides. By the end of the year, each of those suburbs will have an average of 10 docking stations and a total of an additional 3,300 bicycles, a successful system by any stretch of the imagination. And continuing the French theme, finally tonight, we want to wish bon journée to James Bothorpe of London. James is 31 years old, and he's just begun an epic adventure of a lifetime. He is hoping to ride his bicycle 18,000 miles around the world in five and a half months, riding about 120 miles a day, all in an effort to aid Parkinson's disease research. And if he achieves his goal, he's hoping to be able to knock three weeks off the current around the world cycling record being held by Mark Beaumont. Beaumont achieving that record just last year. Along the route, Bothorpe is hoping that he'll be able to meet up with folks from Parkinson's Disease Societies all over the world, and he's hoping to raise about 1.8 million pounds. To get more information on his journey and his effort to break the record and raise a lot of money for Parkinson's disease research, you can go to his website, and there are links in the show notes as well as in the Enhanced Podcast. James, Godspeed. And that will do it for the news for this week's episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. Before I go on, it's time to thank another show sponsor, and that's Audible. We've been talking about Audible here on the show for several months. They've been a great sponsor, and they still have a great offer for you. If you go to audiblepodcast.com slash cycling, they're going to give you 14 days free and a free offer. Audible book. Now, Audible is over 50,000 titles of almost any book in every genre you can imagine, plus arts and entertainment, comedy, newspapers and magazines, radio, even podcasts. We were talking just a moment ago about someone trying to raise money for Parkinson's research, and there's a new book available on Audible right now by Michael J. Fox called Always Looking Up, The Adventures of an Incurable Optimist. Here's just a little taste. As the title for this new book, Always Looking Up, works on a couple of levels. First off, let's just get this one out of the way. It's a short joke. At a fraction of an inch under five foot five, much of my interaction with the world and the people in it has required that I tilt my head backward and direct my gaze upward. However, this isn't a manifesto about the hardships of the vertically challenged. Frankly, my height or lack thereof never bothered me much, although there's no doubt that it's contributed to a certain mental toughness. I've made the most of the head start one gains from being underestimated. And that's more to the point of it. Always Looking Up alludes to an emotional, psychological, intellectual, and spiritual outlook that has served me throughout my life and perhaps saved me throughout my life with Parkinson's. I've put this book on my Audible wish list, and as soon as I get through the ones that I'm listening to now, I can't wait to hear Michael J. Fox narrate his own book. And you can pick from one of thousands of books available on Audible. Just go to audiblepodcast.com cycling and sign up for your account today. We thank them so much for their support. 
For the last couple of weeks, I've been talking to you about Oregon's House Bill 3008, which is the proposed bicycle registration tax. Well, I got an email from a listener, listener Charles in Ashland, Oregon, who had an email exchange with State Representative Sal Esquivel, who's a co-sponsor of the bill. Charles's point in his email was, was, look, I've got eight bicycles. I've got friends who have bicycles. I have children who ride bicycles. I've got a nice young man that I hire every summer to do work for me around the house. He doesn't make very much money, and it just doesn't seem right that we would be extracting money from him, let alone the money that you're going to have to be extracting from Charles and his children. And the fact that really now is the time when, yes, states and the federal government need revenue, but is it really right to be discouraging people from using their bicycles or from owning bicycles when we want to try to be greener, save the planet, less pollution, use less fuel, all of that? And so his question was, how is it that you can be behind this? And what was really enlightening was to read the email correspondence between the two. So Charles sent this email out. Representative Esquivel sent the following response. Now I'll read this verbatim. He says, Charlie, there are three issues here. First of all, the issue of security. If your bike is registered, it can be traced if stolen, as some of these bikes cost $5,000 or more. Second, maintenance as the county needs help with maintaining the off-street bike paths. Not all counties have these. These are paths that are used not only by foot traffic, but also by bikes, no cars. Third, equality. As there are set-aside bike paths on roads, as required by law, this costs more for roads, not only for purchasing the roadway, but also grading, engineering, blacktopping, and maintenance of same. The cost is $54 for two years or $27 per year. All money would be in a designated fund for bike use only. Bikes would have a sticker or license that would be easily read by law enforcement because Charlie asked specifically about enforcement, whether or not law enforcement officers would be required to stop cyclists if they hadn't registered their bikes. Sal goes on to say, you as most bike riders that oppose this say that let the cars pay. My question to you, why? You use the bike paths, not cars. Why should you not pay for the part of our infrastructure that is set aside for you, the bike rider? I've received a lot of emails on this issue, and believe it or not, most have not only been positive, but have made some great suggestions. I ask you the question, how do bike, how do bike riders help pay for their part? Now, I have comments and actually I have reactions to everything that the representative said, but here's what Charlie had to say in response. Before I read this, I want to commend Charlie for his respectful tone towards Sal. In his response, he says, Sal says, you as most bike riders that oppose this say, let the cars pay. And here's what Charlie has to say. Who pays for the crosswalks and the expensive walk-don't-walk signals that the pedestrians use? Use your logic. Should we tax the pedestrians too? Would your next bill include a pay-to-cross, put a quarter in the slot process at every crosswalk? What about the beeping crosswalk signals for the blind? You would have a tax on them too. You know, I don't benefit from those crosswalks for the blind. This is outrageous logic, Sal. Motorists, cyclists, and pedestrians all benefit from well-engineered road and highway systems. On the issue of security, Charlie says, Come on, Sal, how long do you think those state tax IDs are going to stay on a bike after it's stolen? The state identification markers, stickers, or badges will be obliterated or taken off in short order by the thieves. I doubt many stolen bikes will be recovered because they are, quote, registered. And as far as maintaining off-street bike paths, 
Charlie says, how many times have we seen, quote, mandated bike lanes in a new development, with some funds provided by the feds ignored and not put in? Too many. It's almost as if the local governments are saying, so sue us. We didn't spend the money reserved for the bike lane. What you are proposing is like a toll path, pay to play. If that's the case, you'd better charge the strollers, runners, dog walkers, etc., none of which makes sense. As far as the sticker or license that could easily be read by law enforcement, Charlie says, don't the police have enough to do, Sal? When we get on a bike, that's one less car to wear out a road, one less motor vehicle to pollute our air, less tires in a landfill, one more person getting fit and becoming less of a drain on the medical system. All of this benefits the state in a way much bigger than $27 per year. I suggest that the state of Oregon would be money ahead by paying people to ride their bicycles. In fact, Congress already is. He, of course, is referring to the commuter uh, bike, the bike commuter benefit. A bicycle commuter is eligible for $20 per month cycling tax credit on the federal level. I have cars. I do pay. My fellow riders mostly also have cars. They do pay. There's a mutual benefit here. Bike lanes and bike-specific areas on wider roads are just as important to Joe the driver as they are to Joe the cyclist. Driving is safer and less congested for the motorist without bikes riding in the car lanes. Oregon is known nationally as, nationally as a very bike-friendly state. Portland is number one. Numero uno, Sal. We want to encourage this, don't we? Already, the bicycling podcasts, blogs, bicycling advocacy groups, and others are howling against this bill. I haven't been howling, but I'm certainly against it. They're scratching their heads saying, this is happening in Oregon? How many miles did you ride last year, Sal? What's your interest in improving my bicycle experience with this bill? Interestingly enough, Sal had enough. His response, Charlie, it's apparent that we will never agree on this issue. Let me ask you a question. Did you vote to tax cigarettes for health care? Charlie says, oh my, bicycle tax, cigarette tax, apples, oranges, Didn't you, do you smoke when you're not riding, Sal? Yes, we will never agree on this, but that's okay. It's good to have lots of viewpoints out there. I think that this exchange between Charlie and his representative uh, is indicative of a couple of things. If you don't mind me getting on a soapbox for a moment, here we go. Number one, uh, it's indicative of the fact that we do live in a representative democracy, and that means that there are folks in the legislatures and the executive branches of this country here in the United States who have been elected to represent our needs. If you don't like what they're doing, tell them so. If they don't listen, vote them out of office. Number two, it also seems to point out that perhaps Sal isn't listening to the person whom he represents. And considering the fact that Oregon is indeed known as one of the most bicycle-friendly states in the nation, and Portland known as perhaps one of the most bicycle-friendly cities in the world, it is a bit boggling to the mind to think that this is going on in that state and in that city. I would urge those of you who are in Oregon who disagree with this bill, despite the fact that so many people are saying it is bound for defeat, talk to your representatives, send them letters, send them emails, make those phone calls, let your voice be heard. Because too many times in the past, in too many places around the world, people say, this can't happen here. There are plenty of Oregonians who are saying that about this bill. Well, you know what? It can happen. And unless you let your voice be heard, like Charlie did, it might just happen to you. Keep that in mind. Stay active. And that way, us podcasters won't have to howl about it. 
It's no secret to those of you who have listened to even one of a recent Fredcast episode that you know that I am a huge fan and user of the social networking microblogging site Twitter.com. I got a press release earlier this evening, and at first I thought it was an April Fool's joke, but in some correspondence and some telephone conversations with the folks who sent it to me, I found out that it was not an April Fool's joke, and it concerns something that's going on tomorrow, April the 2nd. So listen closely to the interview that I just did with Mike from Banjo Brothers about something really exciting and innovative that they are doing on Twitter on April the 2nd. On the line with us now is Mike Vanderschuren of Banjo Brothers. Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So first of all, tell everybody a little bit, for those who don't know, uh, about Banjo Brothers. What's the company all about? How long have you been around? What do you do? Well, we've been around for five years. Um, there's two Banjo Brothers, and we're not actually brothers. We're just uh, ex-co-workers who uh, leapt out of our corporate cubicles into the wild and woolly world of bike accessories. And uh, our specialty is um, sewn goods. We make uh, panniers, backpacks, waterproof gear for recreational cyclists and bike commuters. So just out of curiosity, because I love stories like this. So you're in the corporate environment. What, What was the impetus for leaving that and, as you said, going out into this wild and woolly world of bikes? Well, it was kind of interesting. Uh, Eric and I were, we worked for a company called Fiskars, which is probably most famous for their scissors. But uh, we worked for a division um, that made the Bucket Boss brand of tool organizers. So we made tool bags and tool belts and knee pads. So we learned quite a bit about, you know, how to build and design cut and sew items. And uh, Eric was a lifelong cyclist and, you know, stumbled into his local bike shop and looked at some of the products and said, you know, we can probably do better than this. And so we, we gave it a whirl. We tested in seven locations in the Twin Cities Metro um, five years ago. And uh, today we service over 450 dealers nationally. Wow. And, of course, being in the Twin Cities area, I mean, lots of your customers, when you started out, they were dealing with weather and all sorts of things because you've got some harsh weather there, especially in, in the wintertime. So I, I'm guessing that that was also part of, of your product concept to make sure that you could really provide weatherproof accessories to the cyclists. Yeah. I mean, waterproof gear, when we introduced those in our, in our I think our third season, it was, you know, a convergence of a lot of things. I mean, the I mean, cycling's just exploded here, and it was good before, but it, it got even better. So as more people got on the road, um, it just gave us opportunity to develop things that, you know, like the waterproof panniers, which are great for people who commute year-round. Nice. Excellent. But, of course, that's not the reason we're talking today. I mean, it's it's important to talk about your products, but you sent me a, a press release, and, and for full disclosure because today is April 1st. I was a little bit skeptical, um, but apparently it's true. Tell everybody what it is that you're going to be doing tomorrow, April 2nd. Well, we came up with this kind of crazy concept a few weeks ago. Um, I had um, last summer met uh, a young graduate of uh, Puget Sound, and he was a creative writing uh, major. And uh, uh, at one point, you know, when I was a young greenhorn and wanted to get into marketing and advertising, uh, you know, I needed somebody to give me a shot. So I put it in the back of my mind that sometime during the course of the year, I wanted to hire this kid to do some, some work for us. And so, you know, a few months back, we got all hooked up on Twitter and, uh, 
he and I were going to meet with some other guys for a couple of drinks. And as I was cycling to meet him, I kind of came up with the idea to do um, a, a, a short story, some microfiction that would be released via our Twitter feed. And um, I hired Ian to, to craft the story. So what's Ian's full name? Just, just out of curiosity. Oh, Ian Pratt. Ian Pratt. Great. And so, so tomorrow you're going to be producing uh, this, this fiction. Tell me a little, again, tell me what time it is uh, from and to. And uh, tell me, if you can, just a little bit about what it is you're doing. Yeah. So um, Ian wrote a story for us, a bike-centric story that takes place in Minneapolis. And starting at 8 a.m. tomorrow, Central Time, we'll be releasing the story in 16 segments. It covers from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And the chunks, of course, you know, via Twitter are 140 characters. So in, you know, under 1,200 characters, we're telling a complete story. And um, kind of the inside scoop is that we sort of wrote it as a cliffhanger, mm-hmm. and uh, if the people who get the story like it, it's something we're probably going to continue with. And and so this was your idea while you're cycling, and, and I'm guessing I'm not the first person to say to you, come on, it's an April Fool's joke, right? Right. Yeah, I was concerned about that, and when I was, you know, this is, uh, it is a bit half-baked. I mean, it, it's only kind of come to fruition in the last couple of weeks, um, but when I was planning this out, I said, well, we can't have it on April 1st because people think it's a joke. So we decided to put it on April 2nd. Um, but I never, it never occurred to me that when doing the lead up to this that people might also consider it a joke. So, uh, but it's worked out good, and, and uh, a lot of the folks who I've talked to and a lot of um, the feedback I've gotten has been very positive. People are excited, and uh, we're excited to see what's going to happen. Now, do you consider this um, a form of performance art? How would you categorize it? Well, you know, it is, I consider it art in the fact that it is, it's truly a piece of fiction. And um, one of the things that I learned when doing some, you know, there is micro fiction out there. I didn't realize that until after I, I'm a no bike company to do micro fiction, but there are some authors out there who can pack a lot of emotion into 140 characters. So it's, it's a kind of point of pride of people who write for a living. But uh, so we, we do consider this art. And I guess to some degree, you're right, it is performance art because it's, you know, it happens essentially live, and you're trying to elicit reaction from people on the spot. And and how does it tie back to your product? I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, right, you want people to, to go to your website, see your product, and, and hopefully buy it. What's the tie-in? Well, I wanted this to be more like, you know, back in the 40s and 50s when there was branded entertainment, you know, soap operas and various things brought to you by, you know, a certain brand of cereal or dog food or whatever it was. And so the kind of the thinking was this is more marketing with a with a velvet touch. You know, it's like if people like the story, chances are they might click on a link and check out our website or learn a little bit more about us. And, um, you know, all, we like to be creative. So you know, I think people are that who have that sort of orientation will get a chance to know us and our brand. And I think overall it'd be good. Yeah, and, and I suppose that that's really the goal of, of all social media is, is connecting people. And, and if you can make that connection, hopefully you can build some brand loyalty. So, I mean, I think it's a brilliant idea. I wish you a lot of luck with it. Um, tell me, how, give everybody your, your Twitter name and where they can find it. And then I'm wondering, uh, are, are you doing any sort of specials associated with it? Tell me about that. 
Oh, yeah. So um, one of the things that we did is we tied in a local bike shop, Calhoun Cycle, and uh, embedded in the story, and I can tell you this is going to happen right around lunchtime, central time, um, we're going to have a, a specific keyword, basically, that will be used, and they can go on to the Calhoun Cycle's online store, or they can go in the shop itself if they're from Minneapolis and redeem this key code. But I'm not going to tell you exactly what it's going to be. And... Um, uh, the Twitter URL for us is the, excuse me, twitter.com forward slash Banjo Brothers, and our website is also www.banjobrothers.com. There will be a full kind of overview of the story there, and also we'll aggregate it in a couple of spots so that if you kind of join midway through, you can go back to one of those locations to read the parts you missed. Well, I'm excited. I'll be up early to, to watch it and to, to watch it unfold on my screen. Mike, it's a great idea. I hope that uh, I hope it works out for you, and I hope that we'll see more uh, Twitter-based fiction from Banjo Brothers in the future. Um, have a great evening and after uh, you know getting ready for this, and uh, we'll see you on Twitter tomorrow. All right, thanks a lot. Well, I'm going to be following the Banjo Brothers Twitter feed tomorrow, and of course there are links in the show notes as well as in the enhanced podcast, so that you can also follow and read this fictional story as it. Unfold. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a great, innovative use of the medium. And now it's time once again for yet another episode of Training with Ken. Ken's going to be talking to us today about how he's training indoors to get ready for his Etape du Tour this coming July. Take it away, Ken. Hi, David. This is Ken, and I thought I'd give the Fredcast listeners a little more information about the training tools that I'm using to prepare for the Etape. I get a lot of questions from people about the CompuTrainer and the ERG video combination, so I thought maybe your listeners might also be interested in a few more details about how the two work and how they work together. For those who don't know, the CompuTrainer is an indoor trainer that attaches to the bike's rear wheel, very much like any fluid trainer would. The difference, though, is that it has a very powerful magnetic motor that's controlled by a computer to simulate real-world training conditions. The CompuTrainer displays and records your wattage, your speed, your RPMs, and your heart rate information. And it works in basically two different modes. The first mode is what I call 3D mode. You can ride a training route just like you would outside. You experience the grade of the road, and you ride at really whatever pace you want. On your computer, you can see either a 3D environment that looks a little bit like a video game, or if you use the RacerMate Real Ride software, which they sell separately, you see a videotaped ride which play, plays back and adjusts its playback speed according to how fast you're riding. The second mode is ERG mode, that's E-R-G, and in this mode you load a ride file that controls how much resistance the motor applies to the rear wheel for a specific period of time. For instance, 60 seconds at 200 watts, followed by 30 seconds at 100 watts, followed by 10 seconds at 150 watts, and so on. You can use the ERG mode without the computer by running set programs from the handlebar control unit that comes with the CompuTrainer, but there's much more potential when combining it with other software. And this is where the ERG video software comes in. With this, you're part of the action on a filmed ride. But because you're in ERG mode, 
you have to ride with the group that was filmed, and you're riding at their pace. The software applies the resistance as though you are one of the riders in the group. When you enter your functional threshold power, which is the wattage that you can maintain over a 60-minute time trial effort, Erg Video scales the effort to your capabilities, so you're riding at a percentage of your FTP. Erg Video's most powerful feature is that they are fully customizable. You can create custom workouts, looping sections as needed to target exactly the effort you want in each power zone. And if you work with a coach like Rich Wharton, he can email you your workout file and that automatically loads your workout into the Erg Video software. You hit play and you're good to go. The considerations with this type of setup? Well, the first is cost. The CompuTrainer will set you back about $1,600 and the Erg Videos run about $45 each but they're available discounted in sets. The system isn't wireless and it takes about five or ten minutes if you want to pull your bike on and off of it. And I also recommend using a trainer specific tire, which means either a dedicated rear wheel or having the patience to change your tire each time you put the bike on the trainer. Obviously the ideal setup is to have a dedicated bike that you just leave on the trainer all the time. Finally, the CompuTrainer and its software could sort of use a bit of a facelift. They've got a system that's functional and reliable, but it's clearly aimed at the serious sports training market. And if you're expecting Xbox 360 style graphics, you might be disappointed by the utilitarian look and functionality. But happily, the Erg Video software does a great job of bridging that gap. And I use that exclusively now. I very rarely use just the CompuTrainer software on its own. One note to Mac users, this is a PC-based system. It does run fine in boot camp, which is how I use it, but you will need to purchase Windows XP or Vista if you don't already have boot camp installed on your Mac. That's really the basics of the CompuTrainer and the Erg videos, and I hope it's maybe answered some questions that people might have had. And David, I, I know you'll have links in your show notes if people want more information from either of those companies. Lastly, David, I want to let your listeners know that I've decided to use the Adapted Tour as a vehicle to try to raise some money for the Lance Armstrong Foundation. My goal is to raise $5,000 and hopefully get to present that wearing my Fredcast team cycling jersey to the Lance Armstrong Foundation on the top of Mont Ventoux in July. Anyone who's interested can check out my blog site, and David, hopefully you have a link to that in your show notes as well. So that's it for this week, David, and I look forward to updating your listeners as my training continues. Thanks, Ken. Another excellent report. I, I don't think I could have described the ERG videos and the CompuTrainer better myself. However, I will tell you that I do have an interview coming up with uh, Paul Smolders from ERG Video. And it almost sounds like a commercial. It's not, folks. These are just products that I like and think that uh, you'll find interesting. He's got a lot of new videos. He sent me some samples, and uh, I'm going to be interviewing him actually from Mallorca, where he's currently filming some new ERG videos. I'll be doing that this weekend, bringing it to you on next week's episode of the Fredcast. And of course, Ken is absolutely right. All the links for everything he talked about are right there in the show notes at www.thefredcast.com. Thanks, Ken. Looking forward to your next segment of Training with Ken. Okay, before we go tonight, I want to thank our show sponsors, starting with our new sponsor, our premier sponsor, Graham Street and Cycloclub.com. Make sure you go check it out. Get fitter, faster, 
in seven days, every seven days at cycloclub.com. C-Y-C-L-O-C-L-U-B.com. And I also want to thank audible.com. Get your free audible book and your free 14-day trial at audiblepodcast.com slash cycling. And of course, we'd also like to thank you for your donations, as well as for your purchases of the Team Fredcast jerseys. To keep in touch with the Fredcast between shows, and to find out what I'm doing from day to day, in fact, from moment to moment, go ahead and check out our Twitter feed. That's twitter.com slash fredcast. You can send me an email at any time. The email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. And of course, for audio comments, go ahead and use the Fredcast listener hotline at area code 435-2586-FRED. That's 435-2586-3373. And don't forget, for show notes and other information, go to our website at www.thefredcast.com. And as always, it's time for Podsafe Cycling Music. This is provided to us, as usual, by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Tonight's music is called Slipping Away. It's by Ryan Calhoun. There are links in the show notes to where you can find Ryan on Podshow, on MySpace, and also on iTunes. Please go to iTunes, go to the links in the show notes, support musicians who support podcast. So between this week and next, don't forget that Banjo Brothers story on Twitter tomorrow. And don't forget to enjoy the music, but most of all, enjoy the ride.
There's no way.